We are here at the Second Chance Cafe, 5850 Jean Tolonis. And if you would like to call us, call us at 514-259-1464. I would like to give you some information concerning what's going on here. September 9th, we're doing our annual fundraising golf tournament. And we need some volunteers. If you're sitting here or sitting at home doing nothing, please call 514-259-1464. And we will enroll you in what you want to do. Not what we want you to do, but what you would like to do. Bring food to the people that are at the holes or uh, taking down registration. Whichever, whatever fits into your category, okay? So, the Bible says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So we're united in one accord to bring a blessing into the kingdom of God by continuing to raise funds to do more of what we're doing. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We ask that you bless each and every person that is here tonight. Let the praise and worship team glorify you, Lord God, with their song. And our hearts are united in one accord to love you, to worship you, and to adore you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Comment ne pas te louer? Comment on pourrait faire pour ne pas louer Dieu après tout ce qu'il a fait? Alors, ça va comme suit. Comment ne pas te louer? Comment ne pas te louer?
Amen. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Can you do a little bit better? Come on. You can do a little bit better. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you. Uh, a bit too much volume to the Lord a little bit. Thank you, Brother Daniel, for uh, leading us in worship. Thank you, uh, Brother David. Hey, David. Good job. Praise the Lord. I want to welcome all of you who are here tonight. I want to welcome those of you watching online. God bless you. Uh, tonight's going to be a powerful night. I want you to think about this. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there, Amen. even in the midst of them. Amen. You know, in the book of Revelation, the Lord said to one of the churches, He says, I am the one who walks in the midst of the candlesticks. And you know, the candlestick in the book of Revelation represented the churches. And Jesus said, I'm the one who walks among the candlesticks, meaning he's not just glued to his chair in heaven, he's among his people. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. And he's here with us tonight. Amen. And when the Lord touches you, you'll never be the same again. Amen. Psalm 116 says, in his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Tonight I'm going to share a word that is really uh, dear to my heart. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about the gospel of the kingdom, which I believe is going to open up the Bible to you in an entirely different way. I believe you're going to have a new appreciation for your salvation. And you're going to understand what it truly means to be redeemed. Because, you know, very often we think being saved just means when I die, I go to heaven. And you know, it is true that the Bible places an emphasis on heaven. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven where we are looking for the Savior. And that is true. However, the gospel of the kingdom goes far beyond just going to heaven when you die. It's about being empowered to live as Christ lives because the bible says in Acts 17 that it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being first john 4 says as he is so are we in this life and the gospel of the kingdom is what is going to empower you to live and walk in that reality so tonight i'm going to unpack this what is the gospel of the kingdom what does the gospel of the kingdom reveal and again, I believe your eyes are going to be opened. I believe that you're going to fall in love with the Lord all over again. You're going to appreciate your salvation. And God is going to revive you tonight. And another thing I want to say that's so amazing about the Lord is that we serve a living God and He watches over His Word. In Jeremiah 1.12, He says, I am watching over my Word to perform it. Isaiah 55, so shall my Word be which goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper wherever I send it. Psalm 107 verse 20, He sent His word and healed them from their destruction. And I believe that whatever your need is tonight, 
I believe that the Lord is not only going to meet your need, I believe He's going to surpass it. Why? Because the Bible says He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think according to His power that is working on the inside of you. Can you say amen? Amen. Are you with me tonight? Amen. Are you ready to understand the gospel of the kingdom? Yes. yes. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Book of Revelation is right at the end. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation, the fifth chapter. And we're going to read a few verses together. But let me start by saying this. While you're turning to Revelation 5, is that the gospel of the kingdom is the message that must be preached in the end times. Jesus, in Matthew 24, it's known as uh, the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus basically unpacks the end times. However, it begins by speaking about troubles that are going to come on the earth. He speaks about the beginning of sorrows, famines, earthquakes, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars, deception, division. All things that we're seeing the beginnings of right now that are going to even intensify. However, he goes on to say in Matthew 24 and verse 14, listen here, that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end of the age will come. So the Messiah is not returning in His glory until all the nations have had the opportunity to hear the gospel of the kingdom of God. But tonight we're going to understand what is the gospel of the kingdom. And I think a good place to start would be in Revelation chapter 5. So if you turn there, we're going to read the first five verses and then we're going to pray. So watch this. Revelation 5 verse 1. This is a vision. John says this. I saw, <coughs> excuse me, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a better translation would say a scroll. A scroll written inside and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. Let me just pause there for a minute. Why is it sealed with seven seals? You know, we have to remember the book of Revelation was written in the first century, right? Now, in the first century, the premier kingdom was the Roman Empire. Did you know that it was common for Roman Caesars to seal up their will with seven seals? For instance, the uh, first official emperor of the Roman Empire was Caesar Augustus, the son of Julius Caesar. His will was sealed with seven seals. And so somebody reading this in the first century would have a little bit of a different take than we would. But just to give you some context, this scroll that John is seeing has to do with the will of the king. Does that make sense? So let's keep reading. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth 
was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, It's amazing, even in heaven God has elders. You see, God doesn't need, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, who hasn't, it says, uh, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being His teacher has taught Him anything. God doesn't need to be taught. God doesn't need advice. But God is so humble that He has elders in heaven. And so if God has elders, our churches also need elders. Wouldn't you say so? Alright, that's just a side note. But it says, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. If you want to know what God is saying, stop crying. God doesn't like crying, by the way. Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome to open the book and its seven seals. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the grace to properly communicate this gospel of the kingdom. Lord, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, as Paul said in Ephesians, to know what is the hope of our calling, the riches of the inheritance in the, in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. Thank you, Father, for glorifying your name. And in my weakness, Lord, I thank you that you are strong. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at the context here. We see the scroll sealed with seven seals. It is the will of the king. But John is saying he's weeping because no one is worthy to open it except to the Lamb of God, Jesus, the one who overcame. Now, as you keep reading the book of Revelation, you see that with each seal that's opened in the spiritual realm, there's events that begin to unfold on the earth. Why? First of all, what is the book of Revelation about? Let me start by saying this. The, word, the book is actually not called Revelation. It's called the Apocalypse. Now, what does Apocalypse even mean? You know, when we think of Apocalypse, we think of Doomsday, right? But the word Apocalypse actually means the unveiling. It means something that was hidden that is now going to be revealed. And what does the Bible say in Revelation 1-7? Every eye shall behold Him, even them that pierced Him. And so why is it called the Apocalypse? Because in the end, what's the climax of the story of the age? That the Messiah, God Himself, is going to be unveiled to this earth. Isn't that powerful? But not just the Messiah. I have good news for you. The bride, the church, is going to be unveiled as well. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, it says, When He appears, we shall be like Him. Has any of you, have any of you ever been married before? Raise your hand if you've been married. Raise your hand if you've been married, yeah? Okay, just, well, good for you. Okay, so do you notice at weddings, what, do, what, do, what does the bride wear when she goes to her wedding? What does she wear? A veil. She wears a veil. What happens when the marriage takes place, when the two are united, what happens? The veil comes off. People do these ceremonies and they, they don't even know where this comes from. It comes from the Word of God. Why? Because the ultimate marriage is the union of Christ and the church. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, this is a great mystery. Speaking of marriage, the two becoming one flesh. But he says, but I speak of Christ 
at the church. And so the apocalypse is not only the unveiling of Jesus to the world, it is the unveiling of His church to the world. Right now when people see you, they see an ordinary human being, a white person, black person, Hispanic person, uh, whatever your job is that you do. But when Messiah appears, guess what? You're going to be transformed into His glory. Can you say amen? amen? So that's the first reason why it's called the apocalypse. But the book of Revelation is also, there's another message in it. Because you see, Jesus has two missions. Psalm 110 says that He is priest and king after the order of Melchizedek. And so in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus starts off as the priest. In Revelation 1, you see him with the ephod, the golden sash across his chest. But at the end, what happens? He comes to reclaim the earth as king of kings and lord of lords. So the book of Revelation is the events that must take place as Messiah transfers from his office as priest to office of the king. Isn't that amazing? But the question is this, you know, we read Revelation 5 about this mysterious scroll that is sealed with seven seals. What is in this scroll? What is the message that it contains? As we turn over, go with me to Revelation 10. We're going to begin to unpack this. Right now, I'm just kind of laying a foundation here. Mm -hmm. Revelation 10, <clears throat> verse 1. John, he says this, I saw another angel. Now remember, angel is just another way of saying messenger, right? I saw a messenger, an angel, coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. You know, the rainbow is actually a symbol of the glory of God. Did you know that? Yeah. <clears throat> it says, and his face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little scroll which was open. You see, this is the same scroll that we read about in Revelation chapter 5. Same scroll. Now, what's going to happen? Let's go for the sake of time to verse 8 of the same chapter. Revelation 10. I'm just laying the foundation here. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again saying to me, Go and take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel. Now, keep in mind, Angels, they're messengers, but it has not been entrusted to them to preach the gospel. The angel never preached to one person. Even when the angel appeared to Cornelius, he appears to Cornelius and then he tells Peter, oh, you know, there's someone coming to see you because angels can't preach the gospel. Why? Because they haven't been redeemed. Amen. You see? So the angel has the scroll. He has the message, but he can't preach it. He has to give it to John. John is going to have to preach it. But what, what, is it, what does it speak about? Verse 9. I went to the angel telling him, Give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Keep in mind this is a vision. Take it and eat it. And he says, um, It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth it will be sweet like honey. We're going to understand why he says that. Verse 10, and I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, it, was, it made my stomach bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy before peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Hallelujah. 
so powerful. Well, what's going on here? What, what's, what's this message? Well, remember, Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached in all the nations and then the end of the age will come. And here John is given a scroll. He's given a message that he needs to preach to all the nations before the Messiah comes. So let me say this. The message that is on that scroll is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Isn't that something? But here's the thing. John prophesied in his day. John did bring the message. But has the kingdom of God come in its fullness yet? Yes or no? You know what that means? It means that there's going to have to be people that pick up this message that John was given. And that we're going to have to preach it to usher in the coming of the Messiah. Now, why was the scroll sweet in his mouth? And why was it bitter in his stomach? And I'm going to tell you why. Because the gospel of the kingdom is a message of judgment to the wicked. But it is a message of deliverance for the people of God. And so in one sense, it's bitter because there is a warning of judgment in it. But it is sweet because to the humble, it is a message of deliverance. You know who was someone who was preaching this? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, what did he preach? It says in Luke chapter 1 that he was in the wilderness until he began his public ministry. And it says, the word of the Lord came to John. And watch what it says in Matthew 3. It says, he was preaching. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So John was announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. Because Messiah was coming. We're going to get into that in a minute. But do you know that John didn't just preach the kingdom, but he also warned about judgment. He went on to say, he says, Uh, Who has told you to flee from the wrath to come? And he says, the axe, it's laid at the root of the tree. And whatever tree doesn't bring fruit, he will cut it down and throw it in the fire. And he said this, there's one coming after me, the Messiah, whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And he says, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, when we think of the fire, we think of the fire of Pentecost that manifested in Acts 2. But that's not what John was talking about. He was talking about salvation and judgment. Because whenever the kingdom comes, it brings deliverance to the humble who are looking for God. But it also brings judgment upon the wicked. And so did it happen? Yes, it happened. Because Messiah came. The gospel was preached, but in the year 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. There were about one and a half million people living in Israel. Remember, they rejected the Messiah. One million out of the one and a half were killed. And so judgment came. But those who trusted in the Messiah, they did not rebel against Rome and they were saved. And so what happened? There was a division that took place. There was both wrath and deliverance. He says, John the Baptist says he will purge his threshing floor. Has anyone ever heard the word threshing floor before? 
threshing floor in the Bible? What is a threshing floor? You know, when somebody would harvest wheat, they would have the wheat, right? The problem is, with the wheat, there would also be chaff. And so what they would do is they would take it to the threshing floor and they would put it through a process and through that they were able to separate the wheat and the chaff. And so that's what the gospel of the kingdom comes to do. It comes to separate the righteous and the wicked. It comes to bring deliverance and also judgment. And so what does that mean? It means at the end of the age... There's going to be a polarization. There's going to be a great falling away. But it's not really a falling away. It's actually the roots being exposed. There's going to be a falling away. But the remnant that is going to stand is going to carry the glory of God. You see what I'm saying? And so it's a message of wrath and deliverance in these end times. Another thing about the gospel of the kingdom is that it is the message that Jesus preached. The Bible says in Matthew 4.23, I'm just laying a foundation right now, that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the synagogues, and healing all who were sick. And so my friends, this is the message of the end times. And so the question is this, what is the gospel of the kingdom? What exactly is it? Well, let me start by saying this. The kingdom of God was something that the people of Israel were looking forward to. Now, the reason the people of Israel were looking forward is because they were given the word of God originally. And so they were eagerly waiting for the kingdom. If you read Isaiah, Isaiah was the first prophet in the Bible who truly saw the vision of the kingdom of God. And this is what he says in a verse that we quote all the time at Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and on his shoulder he will carry the government. What government is it? The kingdom of God. So meaning when this child, this deliverer, when he's born, he's going to bring the kingdom into the world. You know what's so amazing? Our own calendar is divided based on the birth of Jesus. Whenever you write 2023 as the date, it's 2023 years since the Messiah broke forth into this world and brought the kingdom of God. The whole calendar goes around and it revolves around the gospel of the kingdom. Isn't that something? Just to show you the impact that was made. In verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. And so the the Jewish people were looking forward to this one who is going to come and bring the kingdom in the world and bring righteousness, peace, joy, deliverance. So this was something that the people were eagerly looking forward to. When you read Isaiah 11, what an amazing chapter. It says how he's going to gather the exiles of Israel. How he's going to, with justice, judge the poor. Even the animal nature is going to be changed. The wolf lying down with the lamb. Isn't that amazing? You know, all these woke people out there that are talking, calling for deliverance for the animals and this and that. They don't even realize, but they want to see the kingdom. They just don't know how to articulate it. But that's what people are looking forward to. 
The problem is that it doesn't come outside the Messiah. It's not going to be in our own rulership. It only comes with Messiah. So here's my point. The people were looking forward to the kingdom of God. Not only that, but do you know the prophets? Stay with me. I may, I'm, we're going somewhere, I promise you. Not only that, but the prophets gave us an idea of when it was going to come. Malachi, when they were building the second temple. Remember, Solomon built the temple. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. They came back from exile. They began to build the second temple. And Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he comes and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, The Lord whom you are seeking, He is going to visit His temple. And so they knew that this kingdom must come during the time that this temple is standing. That's why Simeon, remember Simeon in the book of Luke? What does it say? It says that the Holy Spirit revealed to him he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. Why? Because the Jews were looking forward to this. And I can quote many more scriptures, but I'm just going to leave it here for now just to leave a point. Okay? So, so far are you with me? That the people of Israel were looking forward to the kingdom. But here's the mystery. Pay very careful attention. What they didn't expect was that the Lord was going to bring His kingdom, but not the way they were expecting. Why? Because God was going to bring His kingdom into the fallen world, which nobody was anticipating. And yet, it was there all the way in the beginning. In Genesis 1, what do we see? The earth was formless and void. You guys remember that scripture? And darkness was on the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God, the earth was in a state of darkness. And God brought his light into this fallen world. When you go to John 1, you know what he says? In the beginning. You know why he says that? He's drawing your attention back to the book of Genesis. He's saying, go back and look at Genesis. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Watch this. It goes on to say, and His life was the light of man. Why? Because the same way God brought His light into the darkness at creation, now God was going to reveal His glory His nature, His character, through the Messiah in the midst of a fallen world. Isn't that amazing? And you know what? The Spirit of Christ now lives on the inside of you. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that the same God who said, let there be light in the darkness, He has made that same light To shine, guess where? Point to yourself. In you. Why? Because you have the Spirit of Christ. You are being transformed to the image of Christ. And now by looking at you, people can get a glimpse of what God is like. Can you say amen? Amen. Isn't that something? And so what's the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom is that God manifested God made his kingdom available in the midst of a fallen world and one day 
the fullness of it is going to manifest. But why did God allow it to come in the fallen world? Let me just give you a few reasons. Number one, He had to redeem us from sin. John 3, 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that through Him, the world might be saved. What good is it to have heaven on the outside, to live in paradise, and yet have hell on the inside? God cannot be where sin is. Isaiah 59 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. How can God come into a world that's full of sin? And so God first, before bringing it in its fullness, He had to come into the world and He had to deal with sin. That's why the Messiah is not just the king, but He's also the priest and the sacrifice. Not only that, but God brought His kingdom into the world. You know why? To be a witness against the unbelievers on Judgment Day so that they're without excuse. John 3, you know what Jesus said? This is the condemnation. John 3, 19. That came into the world. This is the condemnation. That light came into the world. But the people preferred the works of darkness. In other words, they got a glimpse of what the kingdom was like. They saw the Messiah heal. They heard the gospel. They participated, experienced the goodness of God. But they preferred their sin. They preferred their darkness. And so it is a witness against them on Judgment Day. Can I share a few more things? Are you still with me? Yeah. I know I'm teaching a lot, but this is so good. Okay, another reason why is, watch this. This is this is mind-blowing right now. Watch this. God brought His kingdom into the present world because He wanted to show His dominion over the principalities and powers through the weakness of human flesh. Isn't that something? You know, if God wanted to, He could have just came and destroyed all the evil spirits. But God wanted to show His dominion by overcoming them through the weakness of human flesh. Psalm 8 says, through the, mouth, through the mouths of babies, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. That through the weakness of a child, He can defeat the strongest principality. And watch this, you are carrying His power. You are called to carry the dominion and power of God in the midst of a world that is in bondage, that is held hostage by wicked entities. And the Apostle Paul said, I wish the church would understand the power that they carry. In Ephesians chapter 1, look at how he words it. He says in Ephesians 1 and verse 19. He says, Paul's praying that we would have revelation. He says in verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? He says in verse 20, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places far above principalities, powers, dominion, and might. It says, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, He has put all things under His feet 
and gave him head over all things, even the church, which is his body. What does that mean? That God wants to manifest his power through you. That even though you're human flesh, even though we're weak, that God would show his power through you and through myself. Isn't that amazing? The last thing I'll mention before we move on is that God brought his kingdom into this world, this fallen world, because he wanted to show you how much he loves you. Malachi 1 says, Esau I hated, Jacob I love. You have a calling, you have an election, and God has showed his love to you by calling you to be saved. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying in the garden, and he says in verse 23, I in you, sorry, I in them, you in me, that they may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. God loves you as much as He loved His very own Son. Isn't that so powerful? And so the gospel of the kingdom is that the kingdom of God has broken into this fallen world and it is made available. And you can come to Him and He can fill you. He can restore you. He can heal you. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Lord God. Another thing, in just a moment, I'm going to take you through some points. And I'm going to tell you about what the gospel of the kingdom reveals to you and I. And how we could be transformed through this truth. But before that, I also want to talk to you a little bit about the Jubilee. Because to understand, and I know Richard, you love this subject, eh? To understand and fully appreciate the Jubilee... Uh, excuse me, the kingdom of God, we need to understand the Jubilee. The Jubilee was that every 50 years, the people would return to their land. What was lost would be stolen. If anyone had any debts, they would be forgiven. And so this Jubilee is also a key to understanding the gospel of the kingdom. Because when Jesus started preaching... You know what it says in Isaiah 61? He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and He says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is the acceptable year of the Lord? It is the year of Jubilee. And so the gospel is the fulfillment of what the Jubilee was all about. And in just a minute, I'm going to show you what the kingdom of God reveals about you and about me and how we could be transformed. How many of you are ready to hear about that? But can I just tell you something really cool about the Jubilee? Remember John said in Revelation 10, I must prophesy before nations, kings, remember that? Do you know that the Jubilee has actually been affecting nations even till this day? Has anyone ever heard of Fidel Castro before? You know, the father of our prime minister? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, hold it, hold it. Okay. Okay, listen, 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 listen. Okay? Fidel Castro, you guys heard of him before, right? Did you know that his reign was determined by the Jubilee? Let me just tell you something. Watch this. There was a Jewish minister, before I get into this, he went to minister on the island of Cuba. He went to preach there. He went to bring the gospel of the kingdom to the island of Cuba. 
And what happened was he had the opportunity to meet with Fidel Castro. Now watch what happened. The Jubilee, whenever it would begin, it was on the Day of Atonement. And the word Jubilee comes from the Hebrew word Yovel, which means the ram's horn, the shofar. Because when they would blow the shofar, it would usher in the year of Jubilee. So watch this. The rabbi who is on the island of Cuba, he meets with Fidel Castro after preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he's led to give him a gift. The gift that he gives him was a shofar. He gives a shofar to Fidel Castro. Little did that man know that that was actually a prophetic act that was going to determine how long he was going to be on the world stage. Because Fidel Castro came to power in 1959. He stepped down in the year 2009. That is 50 years to the exact year. He had 50, a 50 year rulership. And it was already foreshadowed when that man preached the gospel of the kingdom and gave him the shofar. Not only was it the 50th year, but he resigned on February 19th. That's the 50th day of the 50th year. So the reign of Fidel Castro was determined by the gospel of the kingdom and by the Jubilee. Isn't that something? Can I share one more thing before I move on? I'm just showing you that this affects every part of our life. Let me just give you one more. There was an event that happened in 2020 that changed America. That's connected to the Jubilee. In 2020, when the pandemic was going on, when the elections were coming up, remember it was a time of chaos, right? And uh, what happened was Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, anyone know who Franklin Graham is? Franklin Graham um, organized an event with the same Jewish rabbi that gave the shofar to Fidel Castro. They organized a prayer event in Washington, D.C., the capital of America. And they organized this in 2020. <clears throat> it was an event that was called The Return. It was a day of prayer, of fasting, and of repentance. And you know how many people were there? A hundred thousand people. Even Mike Pence, who I'm not a big fan of, not anymore. But Mike Pence was even there and, and prayed, okay? It was a very big event. But watch this. Do you know that abortion, okay? Which, by the way, abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. Abortion became legal in America in the year 1970. 2020 was the 50th year that abortion was legalized. And watch this. They gather on Capitol Hill to pray and fast that God would have mercy on the nation. And here's what happened. After they prayed, they were led to grab the shofar, the sign of the jubilee. And they began to sound the trumpets. But do you know what happened? While they were sounding the trumpets... President Trump, and isn't it interesting, his name actually means Trump, as in the trumpet. While they're sounding the trumpets, I'm talking at the exact same time, not a minute later. While the trumpets were being sounded, President Trump, whose name means the Trump, was inaugurating a new Supreme Court justice that was going to play a role in overturning Roe versus Wade. The legalization of the killing of infants. Amen. And so while the shofars are sounding on the 50th year of abortion, President Trump, whose name means Trump, 
is inaugurating the new Supreme Court judge that's going to play a role in overturning the abortion rule. Isn't that something? And so the gospel of the kingdom and the jubilee is behind the events of modern times. God is still alive. Only He could put something like that together. It's the hand of God working in our world today. Isn't that something? How many of you are happy about that? Hallelujah. So don't think America and Canada's finished yet. We still have another round left. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Yes, Rocky song. Amen. Praise God. Okay, but, but let's get to us now. What that's okay, don't worry. What does the gospel of the kingdom reveal? Number one, the gospel of the kingdom reveals God's justice and his mercy. Let me explain. In Isaiah 40, the prophecy about John the Baptist, verse 3 says, uh, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You guys heard that scripture before, yes, right? Yes. Do you know what the next verse says? Verse 4? It says, let every mountain be made low. Amen. Let every valley be lifted up. Why does it say that? Because the gospel of the kingdom comes to bring justice. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And by the way, do you know Mary's name isn't actually Mary? How many of you knew that? Her Jewish name is Miriam. Did you know that? You know what's interesting? Remember Moses? He was the deliverer of the people, right? Remember when his mother puts him on the basket? Who was it that went to watch over him as a baby? What was his sister's name? Miriam. So the other deliverer, the prophet like unto Moses, God has a woman named Miriam who looks after him. So you see, God's consistent. Mary's name was actually Miriam. Because she's, she's Jewish, by the way. She wasn't Catholic. Did you know that? She's a Jewish woman. Anyway, okay. All that aside, you know what Mar Mary said? We'll call her Mary for the sake of, you know, just because we're used to it. In Luke chapter 1, this after the angel Gabriel tells her she's going to have the Messiah as a child, the Spirit of God comes on her and she begins to prophesy. And you know what she says? Luke 1.52, she says, You have brought down the mighty from their seats, and you have lifted those who were of low degree... She says, the hungry have been filled and the rich have gone away with their hands empty. Why is she saying that? Because the gospel of the kingdom comes to bring justice to the earth. Now, people were confused though because John the Baptist was preaching this. And what happened to John the Baptist? He got thrown in jail. And so John was so confused. John was so confused that he sent his disciple to ask Jesus, Are you the one or should we look for another? Do you know why John said that? Because John didn't realize that God was coming to bring his kingdom, but not the way they were expecting. It was a mystery that even John didn't understand at the time. But what is the justice that the Lord came to bring? You see... In this world, there's different, um, how could I say, categories of people. You, you know, uh, Warren Buffett, who's one of the richest men, he even said, where you're born is like a lottery. And in a sense, he's right. In a sense where you have social classes, you have the rich, you have the poor, 
You have races, you have economic classes, slaves, those who are free. You have a bunch of different classes of people in the world. But you know what happens with the gospel of the kingdom? Is that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter what race, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, God puts everybody on an equal playing field. And He gives everyone the opportunity to decide for themselves on whether they accept the gift of God in Messiah or whether they reject it. And so the gospel of the kingdom puts everyone on an equal playing field because at the end of the day, no matter who you are, no matter your social class, we all have one enemy in common. There's the devil, there's sin, and there's death. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you're going to have to face death and you're going to have to stand before God on Judgment Day. Acts 17 says that God has appointed a day where He's going to judge the world in righteousness through the man, Jesus Christ. So the gospel of the kingdom puts everyone on an equal playing field. But do you want to know something? God favors the poor. The people who are rejected. The people who are neglected. The people who are looking for consolation. The Bible, God, the gospel of the kingdom lifts the poor. In Isaiah 41, he's prophesying about the kingdom. And he says, when the poor and needy seek water and they don't find any, I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them, but I will open rivers and high places. Fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water. And the dry land springs of water. He wasn't talking about natural water. He's talking about those who are thirsty in their soul. That God through the gospel of the kingdom. He comes to comfort those who are looking for justice and for mercy. Isaiah 55. Come to the waters. All you who are thirsty. Come and buy you who don't have any money. Isn't that amazing? And so the gospel of the kingdom comes to bring justice to the poor. One time I was preaching in Rwanda in a place called Kanyaru. Has anyone ever heard of Kanyaru before? Neither did I. You know why? Because it's practically off the map. Do you know that that place is so isolated that most people there don't even have passports? You know what that means? The United Nations doesn't even know they exist. Which in one way, I guess, is kind of a blessing. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is this. It's so off the grid, okay? This place was so poor. By the way, they had never seen a white person before. And so when I went, there was a little baby there. My heart was so broken. There was a little baby there. When I came outside and he saw me, he began to cry and scream. I don't know if he thought I was a ghost or something. But anyway, it was a really isolated place. It was a little village on top of a mountain. And so I went to preach there. The people were so poor. Children were there without clothes. Not by choice. They didn't have any clothes. There were people who weren't wearing clothes there. People couldn't wash. It was the most extreme poverty that I had ever seen in my life. But can I tell you something? God met us on that mountain. The same God that met Moses on a mountain. He met us in that village. Because you see, God looks favorably on the poor because the gospel of the kingdom comes to bring justice and mercy. And so I was preaching there, and guess what I was preaching about? I was preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. 
And I was, right now I'm teaching a little more than I'm preaching, but I was preaching the kingdom of God to the people. And as I'm speaking, something amazing happened that has not happened to me ever since then. And do you want to know what happened? While I was speaking, I had an open vision. And do you know what I saw? And I say this with the fear of God. I'm not saying this so I could be on some Christian TV show. I'm just telling you something that happened. Whether you want to believe it or not is your choice. But God is my witness. As I'm preaching in the back of the church, I see Jesus standing there. I couldn't see his face. All I saw was a white garment and he was surrounded with light. You know, the Bible says in the Psalms, he surrounds himself with light like a garment. And so I see him in the back of the church standing there. And me, I don't know what I was thinking, but I decide to go over there. And so I'm preaching, but I'm so amazed at what I'm seeing that I begin to walk where I saw Jesus standing. And you know what happened? I couldn't stand up anymore. And I couldn't stand up and somebody came and caught me. And all of a sudden I began to weep uncontrollably. I was not able to speak anymore. And you know what happened? Listen, listen, listen to me. Do you know what happened? The glory of God began to sweep through that place. People, I couldn't speak anymore. They had to drag me out. But people were coming to the altar and they were confessing their sins. A woman who was a prostitute came and repented. People began to be healed. You know why? Because God himself came and he visited the poor. Do you know what happened? The, shortly after they baptized 20 something people and three churches were started out of that visitation on that mountain. Can you say amen? amen? Because God looks favorably upon the poor. And the Bible says he takes the beggar out of the dunghill and he sets them among princes. And let me tell you something, the same God that was with me on the mountain of Kanyaru, he is with us here tonight. You may not see him, but he's here and he's ready to touch you and you'll never be the same again. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit because to them belongs the kingdom of God. Justice and mercy comes with the kingdom. And you know what's so amazing? It's that if you need justice, if you need mercy in your life, you can call on him and he's ready to answer you. In Luke 18, he gave a parable of a woman and a judge. And the woman goes up to this judge. Now this judge was a man who didn't fear God. He didn't care about anything spiritual. No fear of God. Do you know that that judge in that parable is a picture of what this age is like? This age is an age of injustice. It's an age where people do not fear God. But yet, this woman, when she went and brought her case persistently, the judge gave her justice. What's the message? The message is that you can go to the throne of grace. The Bible says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy in the time of need and grace in the time of need. So when you need justice, when you need mercy, you can go to the throne of God and the Lord is there to answer you and he is there to deliver you. I heard a story from a man by the name of Kenneth Hagin. 
And there was a man who was an older man who had a heart problem. And the man was an atheist. And he came to Kenneth Hagin's meeting to prove him wrong. And at first, Kenneth Hagin wanted to convince him that God is real. But he read in this, he said, I never read in the Bible where God said, go into all the world and prove to people there's a God. So what Kenneth Hagin simply said was this, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, they that come to God must believe that He is, meaning that He exists, and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So Kenneth Hagin told the man, with all due respect, if you don't believe that He is, I can't help you. Have a nice day. And the man went home. But the man was so rebellious, he came back the next day. And again, he said, Kenneth Hagin, your God isn't real. No, 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 no. And again, he said, they that come to God must believe that He is. But you don't believe that He is, so have a nice day. He told him the same thing again. The next day the man came back, the same thing happened. Now this time, Kenneth Hagin felt bad for the man. And he got on his knees and he began to pray for him. And he said, Lord, you see that this man is an old man. You see that he has a heart problem. The doctor said he could die at any moment. And if he dies, he's going to hell. And so he began to pray and he said, Lord, you can do all things. You can spare this man. He says, I pray, this is what he said. I pray that when he wakes up tomorrow morning, that that verse from Hebrews 11, they that come to God must believe that he is. I pray that it would be, it would be as if it was standing on the bed next to him. That's what he prayed. The next morning, the old man comes back and the usher said, Kenneth Hagin, the man is back. But he looks really different. He's got a smile on his face today. You see, when people don't know God, they all have this constipated look. You know, this look. People look mean. They look angry. But when the Lord touches people, He gives them a joyful countenance. He's the glory and the lifter of our heads. He gives them all of joy instead of mourning. So the man comes and he says, Kenneth, he says, I've been thinking about what you've been telling me. That they that come to God, must believe that he is and he says it just hit me he says i can't receive from god because i don't believe that he is but he says today i believe that god is now tell me what to do and kenneth hagan says i led him to the lord i laid my hands on him and he got filled with the holy spirit and i laid hands on him again he went back to the doctor the doctor said i don't know what happened to you but it's as if you have a brand new heart because we can call on Jesus and He manifests the kingdom of God in our midst. Can you say amen? And He's going to do it for you as well. When we call on the name of Jesus, we're going to call on the true and righteous judge and He's going to come in our midst and He's going to touch your life. Amen. You know, my dad, I've shared this once before. My dad's from a little village called Nambakola. Anyone ever heard of Nambakola before? It's a little bit like Kanyaro. It's in the middle of nowhere. Alright, so yeah, I don't know. God has me connected to these interesting places. So listen, listen. So my dad's from this little village. Need to hide, it's a place you might want to consider going, okay? I don't think the Mark of the Beast is going to find its way to Nambakola. Just saying, they're still on horses, they're still on carriages, so I don't think the chip is going to find its way there. Anyway, that's another story. So my dad's from there, and watch this. This is an agricultural place, okay? And uh, 
people there need rain. If there's no rain, there's no harvest, and all hope is lost. And so my dad was visiting Nambakola, and he felt bad for the people because there's no rain, which means they're not going to have a harvest. And the people did everything. They did a prayer march. They uh, grabbed the bird. They didn't know any better. They grabbed a statue of the Virgin Mary, walking around, doing anything to try to get some rain. And none of it worked. But my dad was there. And you know what happened? He began to call on the Lord. He did what the woman in the parable of Luke 18 did when she needed mercy and justice. And so you know what happened? The Lord woke my dad up at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay? And my dad is looking outside. It's night. The stars are there. Everything's fine. And my dad begins to pray. And he says, Lord, you see the condition of these people. You know what they're going through. Father, he says, I pray that you would have mercy and that you would give them a harvest. And as soon as he said that, not five seconds later, as soon as he said it, the thunder began to roll and it began to start raining at two o'clock in the morning as soon as my dad finished praying and God brought his rain. God had mercy on that village through one person who carried the kingdom of God. Now maybe you don't need physical rain. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you need a touch from God. But the same God who brought physical rain will also bring the rain of the Holy Spirit. He said, if you fathers, being evil, can give good gifts to your children, how much more of the Spirit of God will your heavenly Father not give to them that ask? And tonight, God is going to refresh you. He's going to revive you with the rain of heaven, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The gospel of the kingdom comes to bring justice and mercy. Not only that, the gospel of the kingdom comes to bring deliverance from oppression. You know, in the year of Jubilee, if you were a slave, guess what happened? You went free. No more slavery in the year of Jubilee. Which means what? The gospel of the kingdom comes to liberate those who are slaves. Now you might say, I'm not a slave. But guess what? The power of sin brings slavery. The power of sin brings oppression. But the prophets foresaw that when the kingdom of God would come, there would be deliverance from oppression. When you read the book of Obadiah, which is a small book, Obadiah verse 17, it says, On Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there will be holiness. Joel 2.32, All who call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And so what does that mean? The kingdom of God comes with deliverance. When John the Baptist's father, remember that great man of faith? Zechariah, who didn't believe Gabriel, remember? Anyway, John the Baptist's father, his name was Zechariah. You guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. When John the Baptist was born, 
Remember, God shut his mouth up, put some invisible scotch tape, yeah. some heavenly super glue on his lips because uh, he was talking unbelief. God said, if I want to bring my promises to pass, i got to shut this guy up. But it also shows the sovereignty of God that he was willing to do that. But anyway, what happens is this. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, on the eighth day when John was circumcised. Did you know John was circumcised? No, that means he was Jewish. He wasn't Quebecois. God bless the Quebecois. We love the Quebecois, but it's Jean Baptiste. But anyway, so watch this, okay? On the eighth day, when John is going to be circumcised, you know what happened? When he said, they shall call his name John, his tongue was loosed. And you know what happened? The Spirit of God came on him. And he began to start prophesying. And you know what he says? In Luke chapter 1, when John the Baptist's dad begins to start prophesying, let me show you what he says. He says in Luke chapter 1, verse 71, Luke chapter 1, Verse 71, he says, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Verse 74, to grant us that being rescued from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear. So the Spirit of God was declaring through John the Baptist's dad that when the kingdom of God would come, there would be deliverance from their enemies. You know what the problem was? They thought he was talking about Rome. They were looking at it from a natural perspective. But he came to bring deliverance from our spiritual enemy. Our greatest enemy is what? Death. What did Messiah come to do? He came to deliver us from the fear of death. Zephaniah chapter 3 says, The Lord has taken your punishment and He has cast out your enemy. The chief enemy is death. In uh, Hebrews 2 it says that he might free those who through the fear of death were subject to bondage. He came to set us free from the fear of death. He came to set us free from sickness. Acts 10.38 No doubt you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with Him. 1 John 3.8 For this reason was the Son of God made manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. He came to set us free from the fear of death. He came to set us free from sickness. He came to set us free from demonic bondage. Jesus in Luke 13 sees a woman bent over. And you know what he says? Why should this daughter of Abraham... Remember, the problem, remember what Zechariah was saying in Luke 1? That we might be delivered from our enemies. He says, why should this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, have to suffer one more day? And what happened? He cast the spirit out. And that woman was healed. And so Messiah came to bring His kingdom into the world. To set us free from oppression. The fear of death, sickness, disease, and the bondages of sin and of Satan. That we might live free from oppression. From all spiritual bondage. 
You know, there was, uh, when I was in Ecuador, I was preaching in Ecuador, there was a woman there who had a problem with her stomach. And she had been to the doctor many times, and they couldn't find what was wrong with her. They said, we don't know what your problem is. I'm sorry, we have to send you home, we'll give you some medication, but we don't know why you're having this problem. I didn't know her story. While I was preaching, while I'm preaching, I have a vision. And I see the enemy in her stomach. I only found out later everything she had been through. You know why? Because the same spirit of infirmity that had that woman bound in Luke 13 had this woman bound. And so I saw that devil in her and I said, come forward. And I prayed in the name of Jesus. Those spirits came out. And guess what? She was totally healed. Can you say amen? You know why? Because Messiah came to set the captives free. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open the prison doors to them that are bound. And let me tell you something. Not only are you going to be free, but let me tell you, you're going to carry the anointing and God will use you to set the captives free. You're not going to be a hostage of Satan in these last days. You're going to carry dominion. You're going to carry power. And you're going to be a light in the midst of this dark world. If you believe that, why don't you let the Lord hear you? Hallelujah. Reinhard Bonke was preaching in Rwanda. And there was a man in the meeting that was naked. Not a pretty sight, huh? So there's this guy, he's naked and he has serious problems. Obviously he has a mental illness. And uh, he was he would always go around naked. He was not saying he was out of his mind. As Reinhardt is preaching, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he says, I want you to break the power of every curse. And so Reinhardt pauses his message. And he says, I break every curse in the name of Jesus. What he didn't know was the moment he said that, that man that was walking around naked, insane, fell to the ground began to tremble and shake. When he got up off the ground, he said, Where am I? How did I get here? Somebody get me some clothes. Why? Because when he prayed in the name of Jesus, the curse was broken. Because there's a name that's higher than all the other names. There's a king who is greater than all the kingdoms of this world. And at the mention of his name, every curse is broken. Hallelujah. Messiah came to set the captives free. The gospel of the kingdom is a message of deliverance and of liberation. And if you're here and you need deliverance, if you need to be healed, if you need to be restored, if your heart is broken, if you suffer with anxiety, if you have depression, you don't need to hold on to it anymore. The comforter, the Messiah, the healer, the restorer, He is here to help you. He is here to lift you up and you can go home free in Jesus mighty name not by works of righteousness which we have done but because of his mercy and because he has saved us hallelujah 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 thank you Lord thank you Lord the gospel of the kingdom comes not only to set the captives free not only to bring justice and mercy but it comes to put everyone on equal status before God You know, in the Old Testament, you know what you read about all the time? 
Israel, right? Israel, Israel, Israel. Everywhere in the Old Testament. Everywhere in the Bible. Israel, Israel. But do you know that God's intention was not just to restore Israel? But His intention was to restore all the nations. Genesis 12. Through your seed, He told Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. Isaiah 49. God speaking to the Messiah, He says, it's a small thing, a small thing, that you should restore the tribes of Jacob alone. He says, I have given you to be a light to the nations, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, when we think of nations, we think that that was because of the Tower of Babel, right? We think of Babel because God confused the languages, that's why there's nations. But can I tell you something? Do you know that nations was God's idea? It was God's idea. Deuteronomy 32 verse 8, God gave the nations their inheritance and their borders. In the New Jerusalem, after the millennium, in the New Jerusalem, you know what it says? Revelation 21, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There will still be kings in the New Jerusalem. Why? Because nations were God's idea. And God's intention was that we would all be together under His rulership and bless each other. Amen. Is this too much? No. Should I keep going? Yeah. Isaiah 19, Isaiah has a prophecy about the kingdom and he says that the day is coming where God will say in uh, Isaiah 19.25, Egypt, my inheritance, Assyria, my people, and Israel, my chosen ones. You know, these are the biggest rivals. Even today, these people are still not at peace. In the Middle East, nobody can find peace. But in the kingdom, Messiah is going to bring these together. But you know what Paul had a revelation of? If God brought His kingdom into the world, you know what that means? That even right now, Jew and Gentile can be rectified together. And that's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that they might be one, even as we are one. Jew and Gentile, one in the Messiah. Equal privilege. Amen. You know that Jesus didn't just die to save us from our sins. He died to bring unity among His people. Amen. Ephesians 2, He is our peace who has torn down the wall of separation. What is the wall of separation? In the temple in Jerusalem, there was a place where the Gentiles could worship, and there was a place where the Jews could worship. And there was a wall dividing the two of them. It was called the wall of separation. But Paul says Messiah has broken down that wall. It's not about Jew or Gentile anymore. In the kingdom, we all have equal privilege. We are a new creation. Anyone ever read the story of Noah before? I know Danielle have. You had quite a few jokes about that. But in the story of Noah, you guys remember that story? Yeah. Yes? Yes. You know when they're on the boat, Noah's checking to see if there's dry ground. So he gets a dove. What's a dove the symbol of? The, what's the Holy Spirit. He grabs a dove and he sends the dove out. The dove returns, you read about it in Genesis 7, with an olive branch. The olive branch is a symbol of Israel. The dove, a symbol of the Spirit, returns with an olive branch. And what do you have? A rainbow 
What does the rainbow represent? The nations. So what do we see? The spirit, Israel, and the olive branch, and the rainbow, the nations. Why? Because the new creation is Jew and Gentile united together under the same Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that something? That's why Paul says there's no more male, female. There's no more Jew. There's no more Greek. Now, those things still exist, but equal privilege. We are all equal before God. So the same promise that God spoke over Abraham, the same blessing that was on the Jewish people, you have that blessing as well. And God, what did He tell Abraham? I will curse those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you. You know what that means? You can't be cursed. Why? Because the blessing of Abraham is on your life. Someone say, I'm uncursable. I'm uncursable. You're uncursable. Why? Because you have equal privilege as a child of Abraham. Can I share you a little story with you about that? I'm coming, I'm coming to the end. But uh, my dad, you know, he went to, you know, he's working at a place right now in the manufacturing. I'm not going to get into the details about that. But when my dad went to work there, it's a Jewish company. And, uh, you know, my dad pays his tithe. He's a, he's a true believer, all that kind of stuff. And what happened was that he had an employer who hated him. I mean, this guy couldn't stand him. Now watch this. His authority, who hated him, he had been at that company for over 30 years. 30 years this man had been there. And he only missed one day of work in the 30 years. Can you imagine? This guy lived for his job. And now he hates my dad. Every day that goes by, it's as if he hates him more and more. It got to the point where even though my dad never did anything wrong, the man was determined to fire my dad for no reason. And so he told my dad, he gave him a date, on this day I'm going to fire you. Okay, now watch this. My dad, you know what he did? He started to pray. He said, Lord, you know I respect the Jewish people. And this is a Jewish company. He says, you know what I do with my money. He says, Lord, I want you to plead my cause. Do you know what happened? What my dad didn't know, what nobody knew, was that that man that had been at that company for 30 years, he was secretly stealing from them under the table. Now watch this. He has been there for over 30 years. He's never been caught. On the day that he's supposed to fire my dad, they found out what he was doing and he got fired instead of my dad. Hallelujah! You can't curse what God has blessed. You are uncursable because God said, don't touch my anointed one and don't do my prophets any harm. And even when you go through some tribulation, God's going to bring you out better than you were before. He's going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you give the Lord Someone say, the blessing of Abraham belongs to me. The blessing of Abraham belongs to me. Say, I'm uncursable. I'm uncursable. Hallelujah. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Equal privilege before God. Can I share one more real quick? Okay, watch this. There's another guy that hates my dad at his work. Another guy. This guy is from Cuba. He's another one. Okay? He's my dad's supervisor. Right? And he's so jealous of my dad for some... I don't know why. But anyway. Oh, God bless you, Dad, if you're watching. I love you. So, here's the thing. So, he, he's jealous of my dad. He hates him. Doesn't like him. Lord knows why. I mean, 
Probably because the one in him is not the one that likes I, I assume that's the reason why. So he doesn't like my dad, all that kind of stuff. So now he begins to start mistreating my dad. Long story short, the people were fed up with how he was behaving. Not with my dad, he was doing other stuff. Guess what happened? They decide to demote him and give my dad his position instead. And so now he's under my dad. He was so humiliated that he quits. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So you read the book of Daniel, where God got Daniel out of the lion's den and threw the other people in instead. He never took a vacation. He's still alive today, and he's pleading your cause. And if you'll trust him, if you'll believe in him, if you'll call on his name, he'll come and touch your life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you are happy you came tonight? How many of you learned something new tonight? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The gospel of the kingdom is a return to spiritual dominion. Do you know what man lost in the Garden of Eden? Dominion. Because what did God say in Genesis 1.26? Let us make man in our image and let them have what? Dominion. Dominion. And so dominion was lost through the fall. You say, yeah, well, the human race is still the dominant creature on the earth. That's true. But guess what? We've come under an oppression. We've come under the law of sin and the law of death. So at the end of the day, it's not true dominion. You see what I'm saying? So man lost spiritual dominion. The authority of man is what Satan is after. Did you know that? Because here's the thing. Do you know what Satan's original goal was? He wanted to be like God. Remember? He said, I will ascend and I will be like the Most High. How did that work out? Did it work out? It didn't work out. So you know what happened? He got cast down to the earth. So you know what Satan says? If I can't get God up there, guess what? I'm going to take over this earth. And so Satan wants to possess the earth. But the Bible says in Psalm 115 that God gave the earth to the sons of men. Which means that Satan has to work through human beings. You see, Satan doesn't have any power. He doesn't have any authority. The only authority he can get is what human beings surrender to him through sin. Does that make sense? Okay, let me say this. Do you remember when Christ was tempted by Satan? You guys remember in the wilderness? What was the first temptation? What did he say? What did the devil say? He says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Let me ask you, is it a sin to eat bread? Is it a sin to eat bread? So why did Jesus resist? Why couldn't Jesus just eat some bread? That's not a sin. Not a sin to eat. Did you ever think about that? According to my wife, it is. <laughs> no, but it's not a sin, right? To eat bread? So why did Jesus resist that? What was the problem with turning stones into bread? You see, it wasn't really about it wasn't really about sin. Some people say the devil was trying to make Jesus break his fast. But that's not what it was. You know what it is? It's about authority. That's what it was about. It was about Jesus not yielding his authority to Satan. That's why he didn't turn the stones to bread. Because it's a battle for authority. You see what I'm saying? That's what Satan was after. Now watch this. In the year of Jubilee, what you lost gets restored. So what does that mean? It means that part of our redemption is God restoring to us the spiritual dominion. 
that was taken from us. And that's why it says in Ephesians 2 that we have been raised together with Christ and we are seated with Him in heavenly places. Now, that's a spiritual reality. You're still here physically, right? But spiritually, what's your position? Your position is one of dominion. Your position is one of authority. And you know what God says to the Messiah? Come, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Does anyone know what a footstool is? You know what a footstool is? Well, a footstool is what you rest your feet on. Isn't that right? And so, but you have to sit on something. What does that mean? When you lean on God, when you trust in Him, your enemies become your footstool. And so every opposition, whatever comes against you, it is under your feet. And you need to see yourself that way. The sickness you battle, guess what? It might be there right now, but you know what? It's under your feet. That addiction you're trying to get victory over, guess what? It's under your feet. The devil who's trying to resist you and stop your destiny, he's right under your shoe. He's under your feet. The devil is not over your head. He is not eye to eye. He is under your feet. You have dominion. And you are the boss. The devil's not the boss. You see, the Lord came to put us back in charge. He came to give us a choice to make. You see, before you came to the Messiah, you weren't able to make a choice. You were a slave to sin. But now, guess what? You decide. You're the boss. Yes. He came to put you back in control of the ship. Yes. It's like a ship that's... I saw a movie one time with Tom Hanks, who's not my favorite actor by any means. But anyway, I saw a movie with Tom Hanks, and it's based on a true story where a ship got hijacked by some, some pirates from Somalia. And the ship was hijacked, but long story short, they do this maneuver where they get control back of the ship and they kicked the pirates off. That's what Messiah did. He came to put you back in charge of the ship. He came to put you back in charge of your own life. The devil is not in charge of your life anymore. You're not a slave anymore. You don't have to yield to sin. You don't have to yield to temptation. You don't have to die with sickness. You don't have to die with addiction. You don't have to be a slave to pornography anymore. You can walk in spiritual dominion and authority because the devil and his demons are under your feet. And nothing is impossible to those who believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Someone say, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. The Messiah came to put you back in charge. Amen. And you can choose life. You can choose His Word. You can choose to obey Him. And the Bible says, those who wait on me will never be disappointed. Those who meditate on my word will prosper in everything they do. They'll be like a tree planted by the waters. In every season, they're going to bear fruit. Their leaf is not going to wither away. When people go through calamity, when people say there's a casting down, when people say the market's bad, when people say everyone's dying, look around, see how the wicked are punished, but he will hide you in his sanctuary in the day of war and you will see the victory for the battle is not yours the battle is the lord's hallelujah thank you lord jesus thank you god thank you god let me leave you on this note 
The gospel of the kingdom is forgiveness of sins. You see, in the Jubilee, if you were in debt, well, today we got credit cards, you know? But back in those days, if you were in debt, you know what happened? Year of Jubilee, your credit cards canceled. All the debts wiped away. Some of you wish that was still here, right? Yes. But it was only every 50 years. But you know what? That was, a, it, that was pointing to something spiritual. Because can I tell you something? Your sin is your debt. Our sins are debts that we owe to God. And you know what the problem was? We couldn't pay it off. It was too expensive. But in the year of Jubilee, you're forgiven. When Messiah came preaching the kingdom, what was he preaching? Forgiveness of sins. Your account can be wiped and you can have a new beginning. You can have a second chance. Someone should open a coffee shop called Second Chance Cafe. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's already here. Oh, wait, I'm standing here. Hallelujah. Someone say a new beginning. New beginning. Forgiveness of sins. Death cancellation. Hallelujah. He who knew no sin, he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, you know, maybe you feel guilty about things you've done in the past. I'm not here to condone sin. Sin brings death. Sin is evil. Sin is wicked. But let me tell you something. We live in an acceptable time. And you can seek God while He may be found. And He will forgive you. He will wipe your debts away. And He will give you power to live in victory over sin by His grace. And as God has forgiven you, you must forgive yourself and forgive others as you've been forgiven. Can you say amen? amen? So the gospel of the kingdom is the message of the end times. It is a message of wrath coming on the wicked. It's a message of warning, but it's also a message of deliverance. How does the gospel of the kingdom affect you? As we looked over, the gospel of the kingdom comes to bring justice and mercy and Brother Nick's a perfect example of that. We're all examples of that, of the grace and mercy, the justice and mercy that Messiah brought to our lives. He, come, he came to deliver us from the oppression of the enemy. He came to graft us in to the house of Israel, equal privilege. He came to restore the dominion that we lost. He came to bring forgiveness of sins. He even came to give us a new identity. You have royal blood flowing through your veins. You're not a disgusting old sinner. You're not a worthless piece of trash. You are a son of the kingdom. You have a heavenly birthright and an inheritance, a hope, and a future in the Messiah. Can you say amen? Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We give you the highest praise. Father, thank you for the insights that you have given us. And Father, we know tonight's only the tip of the iceberg of what the gospel of the kingdom really is. But Father, thank you for the revelation that was imparted to your people. And now, Father, I ask that you would come behind your word, that there would be a demonstration of the spirit and power. Because your word says that the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, but of power. And right now, Father, I pray for everyone that is here tonight, anyone that needs a touch from God, Lord, that your hand would be extended 
to heal them tonight. Lord, if there's somebody that is thirsty, if there's one whose heart is like dry ground, Lord, revive them, refresh them, renew them, restore them tonight in the name of Jesus. Father, I Father, for setting your people free tonight. In Jesus' name, I speak healing. I command deliverance. I rebuke depression. In Jesus' mighty and glorious name. Why don't I pray for you first? Would you mind if I pray for you? Come forward. Richard, give me some strength. The rest of you, why don't you lift your hands? I mean, look, you took the time to come. It's not just the Word. It's the Spirit and the Word together. Why don't you open your heart and let God touch you right now? Can I tell you why? Because the kingdom of God has come near. Because the kingdom of God has been made available. And right now, we are standing in the presence of Almighty God. And your miracle, your breakthrough is right at your reach. And you're going to reach out and grab it by faith. Why don't you just face me right now? And just lift your hands and begin to call on the Lord right now. I'm going to pray for you. In Jesus' mighty and glorious name. You stand, you be my usher. No, it's okay. Be my usher. I need you. Okay? Thank you, David. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Very softly, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Lift your hands. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray for my sister. Lord, you see that she needs to be restored. Father, you see that there's a heaviness. But Lord, tonight, I thank you that you brought her here to give her a new beginning, to give her a fresh start, and to impart a fresh anointing in the name of Jesus. Tonight, restoration. Tonight, revival. In Jesus' mighty name. Fill her, O oh God. Fill her, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, heal her tonight and set her free for your glory, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Father, what the enemy took, I thank you that you are restoring it. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, fill her to overflow. In Jesus' mighty name, I worship you, Lord. I give you glory forever. Be exalted. Be praised, O oh God. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, fill her with your presence. Fill her with your power. Fill her with your anointing tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ. I come against any infirmity. Any attack against her body. Any attack against her soul. Lord, set her free. Set her free, O oh God. In the name of Jesus. That's right. That's it. That's your breakthrough. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty and glorious name. Deliverance. Deliverance. Deliverance, oh God. Deliverance. In Jesus' mighty name. Filled. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Let the Lord continue to touch you right now. Just continue receiving. The rest of you, why don't you receive from God tonight? Why don't you let Him touch you? Let Him fill you? Come from people to Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Guru. Okay, Thank you, Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord. Lift them out. 
Merci Seigneur. Merci Seigneur. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Filled in Jesus. Jesus mighty name. Jesus mighty name. Jesus mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Come on, just receive from him tonight. Just receive from him tonight. Franka, let me pray for you. Just let the Lord fill you tonight. Hallelujah. Fill her with the Holy Spirit, O oh God. Let those rivers of living water flow out from her innermost being. Fill her. Revive her. Refresh her, O oh God, with your goodness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Andres, for people, God. Andres, for Andres. Je prie, Seigneur, que tu remplis ma chair ce soir avec ta gloire, avec ta présence, avec ton esprit, Seigneur. L'esprit de la joie du Seigneur. Au nom de Jésus, sois rempli. Sois rempli. Au nom de Jésus, sois rempli. Thank you, Jesus. Fill to overflow. In the mighty name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you praise. There is no one like you. Just continue to receive from him right now. Let him refresh you. Let him restore you. He restores my soul, the psalmist said. Let him restore your soul. Let him restore your body. Let him restore your mind. Let him bring peace. Let him bring joy, righteousness, and the Holy Ghost. We worship you, O oh God. Brother Nick, come forward. I just feel that, man, the hand of God on you right now. In Jesus' mighty and glorious name, the hand of God. I just heard the Lord say, Nick. Lord, Nick, this is your night, man. Jesus' mighty name. This is your night, my brother. My, my older brother, this is your night. Thank you, Lord. Filled in Jesus' mighty name. Filled in Jesus' mighty name. Fill him, oh God. Touch his life. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. Fill him, oh God. With your power. With your glory. With your presence. Hallelujah. I just heard the Lord say, Nick, this is your night. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. 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 Oh God. Thank you for new wine. Thank you for living water. Thank you for your kingdom in this place. Oh God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, oh God. We worship you. See, I told you God confirms his word. Remember I told you that? Thank you, Lord. Lead us in a song right now, as the Lord leads you. Just continue to worship Him. Stand to your feet. Let's worship Him right now. 
Thank you, God. Let's worship
that surpasses understanding. May it be with you. May it guard your hearts and minds in the Messiah, in Messiah Jesus. And may you leave filled with an overflowing cup, living in the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you.